Thank you for joining our conversation on Wow Whispering. I am your host, Diane A. Curran, and it is delightful to be with you. Wow is spontaneous, open, expressive. Whispering is intimate, still, receptive. In our modern age, moments rush in or away like quicksilver. Do we even make the time to savor a wow or reflect on a whisper, to notice and value such gifts? We're ready to do just that with you right now. I am delighted to welcome everyone to this episode. We are going to have a marvelous conversation. I'm excited. I've invited somebody who I've admired her writing for a very long time and also her way of expressing herself in short writing and poetic writing. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her formal background in a moment. But let me introduce and say hello today to Lisa Marguerite Mora. It's good to have you with me and with us. Thank you for being here, Lisa. Hi, Diane. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I think I met you, I don't know, 10 years ago, someplace at a I think we were introduced. Yeah. We were, and you know what's kind of interesting is you and I have met um, a couple of times and the, and the times that we met before this formal time, we just circled around each other in a very famous location. May I share where that location Oh, was? of course, yes. <laughs> so Lisa was one of the experts that made uh, a very famous landmark in Los Angeles come to life, and that is the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. And I was uh, somebody who moved uh, into that neighborhood at a certain point. I found myself there, it seemed like every day, looking at what was happening in books. So Lisa and I inhabited the same uh, dwelling, if you will, for words and writing and ideas for a long time. But we met at an event. And so we've had the opportunity to know each other primarily online since then. So we've, we've kind of gotten very modern with our, our uh, friendship technology, haven't we? Yes, yes. That's so funny. So I probably ran into you at the store and saw you many times. So there's so many people that came in and out. Oh my gosh, hundreds, thousands, many, many people. So I promised our listeners that I would tell you a little bit more about Lisa's background. Lisa Marguerite Mora has won prizes for poetry and fiction. She conducts workshops and offers literary services at barringtoneditorial.com. I want to spell that. It's B-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, then editorial, E-D-I-T-O-R-I-A-L.com. Her work published includes such wonderful um, publications and periodicals as Rattle, Literary Mama, Public Poetry Series, California Quarterly, Cultural Weekly, Rebel Society, The Urban How, Serving House Journal, a Blue Mountain Arts Poetry Prize, and in 2017, she was honored with first place in the microfiction for Dandelion Press. Uh, and she also won a 14th and 26th Moon Prize out of a huge bunch of writers for uh, writing in a woman's voice in 2017 and 2018. My gosh, some of the amazing uh, names for these publications really gets my, gets my attention. Right now, her first novel is in the process of getting some really great attention from top agents. So you may be hearing even more from Lisa in a longer form very soon. So Lisa, I'm intrigued with all the 
types of writing that you are involved with. And there's something very important as well, which is that Lisa has an extraordinary background in coaching other writers and helping them edit their work. And I love something that Lisa has said. It's finding the words in the writer and the writer in the words. Lisa, could you share a little bit about the adventures of being both a writer and someone who encourages other writers? Oh, yeah. Well, working with other writers has really helped me as a writer. Um, I, I've worked very hard. To, I've been writing since I was six years old. I decided I wanted to be a writer at that point. And um, so it's been an ongoing, lifelong journey. And so, you know, I was very, very enthused about it, loved it, very serious about it. And, um, you know, I took workshops and I taught, I taught myself a lot, too. Um, and I found that in workshops and in working with other writers that I was good at seeing what they needed done in their writing. <laughs> and um, mm. so I had, a, I had a good skill with that. I actually started out with copy editing because I have a good eye for corrections. But then I found in that process that I was actually much better and much more enthused about story editing, you know, the more creative part of it. So, um, you know, being in the community of working with other writers, it's, it's just so dynamic and inspiring. Um, you know, so I began working with other writers, manuscripts, novels, and then I created little workshops where we got to work together and that, I just love that. You know, it's interesting to me that one of the aspects of writing that has a, a, a sort of a, we'll say a, a union of opposites is that writing in many ways is a solitary endeavor. You, you and your pen or you and your typewriter or you and your keyboard are there with the blank page or the open document and you are tuning into something that can be very, very solitary. And yet, writers have a, an amazing habit, a, a wonderful desire to connect with other writers and be in their company, to read their writing to them, to be critiqued by them, to be encouraged by them, to be um, given suggestions by them. And there's something, Lisa, that you say often in describing how you work with writers, the word clarity comes up a lot. And I think clarity is, we'll call it the elusive unicorn of writing. Sometimes we don't know when we're being clear, do we? Absolutely right. It, we, we're, we're in our own heads. We have a picture in our mind of what we're wanting to put on the page. And we think we've done it. We really think we've done it. But until, <laughs> someone, until someone else actually reads it also, um, it's really hard to see your blind spot. Sometimes over time, if you step away from a piece of writing, you can, you can see where you've left something out or where you're not being that clear. But to, to work with, you know, to be in a, a setting with other writers where you're getting multiple opinions, it's really helpful to see. I think that's lovely what you're saying because in a way, they're your first audience potentially of what could be, we hope, an even greater audience of people you've never even met. They don't know you. They don't know your voice. They don't know your, I'm going to say your interests, your orientation, your personality. So they're going to bring a, a real distance that has to be bridged by the words themselves, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So I want to ask you a question because we are here in the world of wow whispering. And those are two words that I am so fascinated by. I thought, well, let's just have a whole podcast and set of conversations about them. Wow is a word that very often people don't have a definition for it. They just say it. It just comes out of people when something happens that either uh, surprises them or causes them want to express themselves in a, in a kind of natural, almost e emotive way, maybe very emotive way. Wow has a kind of quality to it that even though it does have a definition in the dictionary, and I made up my own definition of it, it is something that many people say out loud and they just express themselves and people get that. Now, whispering is a little bit different. Whispering has a quality of softness and quietness, maybe intimacy, and sometimes it can be perceived as a positive experience, and sometimes it can be perceived in an other kind of gossipy way, a kind of secretive way. So it's intriguing to me to put those two words together and think about what's wowing and what's whispering. And I wonder, Lisa, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners that is either wowing you these days or whispering to you right now? Oh, yes. Uh, well, recently, well, this summer, I came upon a video um, of Claire Wineland. She was a cystic fibrosis advocate that um, she, sadly, she died a few weeks ago. She was 21. But the videos I saw of her speaking, she was so dynamic. And uh, so she did the three things. She was very clear. She was very passionate. And she brought a lot of specific to um, to her speech to her stories talking about her life and she just she just blew me away I thought she was a master she's so young and she she was actually um, doing these talks beginning at age 13 so, oh my gosh yeah wow so she was she, I mean, so it was absolutely wow I think I said wow for the first time now, did you see her in person, or was she on on uh, video or on TV? How did you come across her? It was on a documentary that, ah. and then and then I, you know, I looked her up, and then she was on YouTube, and then there's all these other videos that, you know, she, had, you know, she spoke all over the country. She, I think, she spoke abroad too sometimes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so quite a motivational speaker. And what I'm intrigued by is. Did she share the journey, the story of what she was experiencing living with her uh, yes. medical challenges? Was that a focus for her? Yes, yes. Her life, her, um, you know, she didn't focus on the difficulties. She focused on the reality, but her message was to just that, that we all have a life to live and that we you know, must live it and enjoy it. And, and it doesn't matter what our what you know everyone has something that they're dealing with so she was she knew that she her life would be short and she she was just um she was just really in the juice of life and mm. so much love but it was just her her passion the clarity of her message and the fact that she didn't skim over anything she was very real about you know the difficulty of the procedure she i think she was having to do medical medical procedures um, four hours out of the day, every day. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. So it, but it was her life and she didn't, um, mm -hmm. think of it as, as something she wasn't, she wasn't 
burdened by it as you would think. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like it motivated her actually. So you're drawing something to the forefront that I want to say is inspiring a, a kind of a thought that I'm surprised I'm having. I want to share it. And that is that when you said she dealt with her, uh, the reality, if you will, of the daily rhythm that was required of her, which is which involved at least it sounds like four hours a day of, of medical attentiveness, medical procedures, medical focus. And you know, sometimes in life, people take on something, maybe not something that they're required to because of their health. But for example, I'm thinking of athletes who are moving towards something that they want to accomplish. And they put in all that hard practice time, many times failing, many times being upset that they don't have, they haven't mastered their uh, effort or their movement or their sport yet or they're practicing something. It could be someone who's learning the violin and is really haven't spent that four hours a day because they have a goal to ultimately connect with the world through their music. What I'm intrigued by is it sounds, the way you, you describe it, Lisa, and you did that beautifully, she was someone who made a decision to use her life and her circumstances for something greater than living it day to day. In other words, she reached out to communicate with other people. And that's really a very, I'm going to say altruistic and also inspiring choice that she made. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. She was, she was quite inspired. She created a foundation to help other people who were suffering from this disease so that they could get the support um, to live their lives. She had a lot of support in her life. She felt very grateful for that. But she realized that a lot of other people suffering did not. So, mm. Wow. Well, you have really shared something that is a reminder to me that sometimes we hear the journey that someone's going on or through or to, and it speaks to us, even though we don't have those same circumstances. And I want to ask you, Lisa, in working with writers, do you find that they need some support to be willing to share their journey, to share what's so for them. Is that something that comes naturally to writers? Is a certain, if you will, a quality that they have, or do they sometimes struggle with that? Um, I think sometimes they struggle or they doubt that anyone is interested in, in what comes out in their writing, um, or they don't even want to write it because they figure it's boring. But what I, we do these exercises in the workshops where I encourage them to sometimes just write about uh, something they do every day in, in as much detail as possible. And they're like, oh, that's going to be really dull, you know, but it ends up being <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> um, wow. Thing about, yeah, just listening to the the details and how they what they focus on as writers what comes out how you you know as a reader or as a listener would recognize that and um also what's different and it's just always very fascinating and, inter and entertaining too i'm intrigued with what you're saying because i'm i'm uh, i'm imagining someone sitting down and saying oh my gosh all i'm doing today is i'm getting up i'm brushing my teeth i'm eating breakfast i'm doing chores but imagine that same set of experiences through the eyes of, we'll say, a comedy or a human writer, and then through the eyes of someone who wants to do horror stories. <laughs> it's 
right. be very different. <laughs> right. They bring their own sensibility to it and what they, yeah, you know, how their own perception, which is always yeah. fascinating. It's always so interesting how other people view something that you would view, you know, how, mm-hmm. how similar or how different or, you know, different shade. And I think that's, um, you know, the eternal appeal of books, whatever form they're in, whether they are in, um, you know, big printed tablets or whether they are in beautifully bound leather covered books with fancy um, incising on them or whether they're in quick paperbacks that you can carry anywhere or now they're on a tablet that you can, you know, stick in your book bag or your, or your purse or wherever you're carrying and you can be in the world of writing anywhere, can't you? That's true. That's true. Have you found that people who are newer writers, as compared with maybe more experienced writers, do they have a different view about working with someone to um, edit their writing, to uh, coach them in writing? Do you find any difference between the newer writer and the more experienced writer regarding that process, that part of what uh, is, is part of writing? Uh, I think with newer writers, they they might be you know more sensitive to criticism and um, so yeah so you so I want to approach I approach everyone at whatever level they're at and I kind of discern what they are needing at this at this moment I can see where they can go and I suppose what I do is I I focus on I'll see what what someone can do really well and I'll encourage that. And then I'll suggest where they might wanna, you know, and I'll, I'll show them what they need to bring out more. But it, you know, I won't, it depends, you know, where they're at. So, I mean, experienced writers, they pretty much want, you know, they wanna be published. They wanna write the best thing they can. They're, they've already acquired a, a tough skin, you know, so sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes I'll just be, okay, you know, you, you know that you do this really well and this really well. This is what I think you should focus on now, you know, and so it's, you know, that's so they appreciate that. They've kind of clothed themselves in all those rejection slips that they may have encountered. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's part of the process. It's, it's so, it's such a big part of the process. And what I find fascinating is that writers keep going. There's, there's a, almost a, a, a need like breathing to keep writing. And I, I know for some people, they may do it in a journal. For others, they may be writing short poems, but then they want to tackle something that is either a longer poem or a, a work in a different genre, like fiction or nonfiction. Or it, 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 there's, this, there's this, I don't know how to describe it, but you have certainly experienced it yourself. And I'd be interested to hear that does, does the, the magic of creativity is something you, you said that is important uh, to you in the work that you do is learning to trust the magic of creativity, but also working to communicate the clarity. But I'm intrigued with what carries us forward when it may be going not the way we expected it to. Right, right. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a need to express and it's, you know, it's a practice like anything else. So regardless of how it comes out on the paper, it needs to come out. 
So I think once you kind of, if you're doing it enough, you just find that you need to do it regardless of what the, the result is. And sometimes it surprises you what does come out and how it does come together. And I mean, it's always fascinating to me when I was writing my novel, sometimes there were scenes that I thought, well, I really don't want to write about that today. <laughs> so I, would, <laughs> I thought, no, it's got to be done. So I would just put, you know, I don't know, I think like 45 minutes aside to just get the scene down. And it always fascinated me that later when I looked at the work, I couldn't tell what kind of mood I was in when I wrote it. You know, I couldn't tell oh. that I wanted to or I didn't want to, or it's just, you know, it's just one of those, it, it, this is, it's this force it's, that comes through that just uses you, I think, to, to, um, to be out in the world. I love the way you said that. It's a force that comes through and there are writers who, who do say, you know, the book took me where it took me and the characters pointed the way that they were going to go. And I just had to be sure I captured it. <laughs> right. I think you have to be, allow yourself to be fluid enough and trust it and, and mm -hmm. not, and really just like turn off the editor, turn it off and just, and just go with that energy. So I think, you know, I mean, it's sort of, I don't know, it's like any, any creative work, where you're just moved by the spirit of it. But then you have to have the discipline to show up and allow that spirit to come through. I love what you're saying, the discipline to allow that spirit to come through, which is not the same thing as the editor who sometimes is thinly disguising that, that big scary judge who just says no to everything. They're not the same at all, are they? No, they're not, they're not. It's required <laughs> later, but not initially in the creative process. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure that you are familiar with something I encountered a, a few years ago, which is called NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, which is considered to be November. And there's a whole group of writers who have banded together in a wonderfully, creatively chaotic way. And what they do for 30 days, for those, those folks who haven't encountered NaNoWriMo before, you can go online and find it, NaNoWriMo.org. What they do is they commit to writing every day for 30 days. And the goal is to get 50,000 words on a piece of paper if you're writing a novel. And what the biggest bugaboo is, don't edit. We're not at that stage yet. Just get the information, get whatever comes through down and, and enjoy where it takes you. Do, you. do you find that um, worthy advice? Do you think that that gets in some people's way? Because, oh my gosh, 50,000 words, that sounds like a lot for some folks. <laughs> Oh, I think it's a really helpful thing. I've never done it. Um, and I have a client who did it and I was just amazed. I mean, she really, she got a first draft down. And um, yeah, so I think, it, you know, doing it every day like that, having that kind of um, structure allows, really allows you to break through, like really allows the fire to come through you. You know, if it, if it has a container like that, I think the freer you can be. Well, I believe it's Maya Angelou who, who when she was with us, um, let it be known that she had a practice of writing four hours every day. And she would go to an office that she was lucky enough to have. And, and she had a special place that she went to write and she wrote for four hours. And there was no writing for two hours. There was no writing for one or even three and a half. It was four hours. And then 
you know, the rest of her day would happen whatever way that it did, whether she ever wrote longer than four hours, that was the requirement. It's a very interesting approach and look where it took her. Right, right. And that's quite rigorous, four hours a day of writing, because, you know, writing is very physical and emotionally demanding. And the focus, you know, that yeah. steady focus for four hours, that's, that's, you know, that's probably more than an eight hour day in, any, in anything else. Well, she, I, I would agree with that. I'm glad you pointed out because there may be folks who say, well, gosh, I'm not sure I have the stamina for that. Well, you can choose the number that works for you. So I want to ask you, Lisa, we, there's so much we could talk about, but I want to make sure that we include this question. And it's one that popped up as I was thinking about our conversation today. I said, you know, um, how do writers that you are guiding and teaching react to respond to this notion of wow. Do you think they're ever wowed by their own writing? Um, yeah, I hear people, uh, just the other day I was working with a client and she, she said, well, I just found this piece of writing I did and I don't remember writing it. And I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm quite, you know, I shouldn't say I'm quite impressed with it, but I think it surprised her that she had written it enough that she wanted to share with me and, you know, and get feedback. So, so yes. And then often, you know, in the writing workshops, when we do these exercises, we have 10 or 15 minutes to write the, 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 t the time compression and the spontaneity of the exercise pushes uh, this kind of innovative response out from, from the group. And they're always, I'm always surprised, actually, at what comes out, you know, how good it is, how rich, how, you know, um, and they're surprised, too. So, yeah. Well, I, I love that you give them a structure that uh, almost, um, if you will, I could say, distracts them from whatever little voices are coming up to say, no, I can't do this. The, the structure is there, you're there, and they, they're, they're, almost uh, moved beyond their own willpower to just do it, just see what happens. <laughs> right, right, right. Everyone's doing it. It's only 10 or 15 minutes. So what do I got to lose? And they don't have to share if they don't want to, but they always end up sharing. So. Isn't that interesting? I love that you put that in place because, you know, uh, some of us in life are these little rebels and, and we're rebels against you can't do this or you can do this. And we say, oh yeah, but you just give them permission to have it be the way that works for them. I love that you do that. Oh yeah, yeah, it'll be comfortable. So do you find, I know sometimes in the worlds that I inhabit, I find myself looking at, for example, in the world of marketing where there are certain principles I invite people to do, certain exercises I invite them to consider to open their creativity. Do you find that for yourself some of the things that you uh, support other people to do in terms of exercises or structured kinds of uh, uh, work uh, moments, do you find that you use them yourself? And do you have a, a, an experience of, of what that's like to, okay, say, follow your own advice? Oh, yes, yes. In the workshops, I write with them. You know, oh, wow. I feel, yeah, we're, we're, I, I see it as a circle and we're all, you know, we're all part of the circle and we're all the same, you know, with different, you know, with different things to offer. I mean, I guide it and they know that, you know, I've done what I've done, but when we're creating in the moment, I mean, we're all the same, you know, so, so yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and I, I think I'd used some of the exercises when I was writing different scenes for my novels just to get into the material. So, oh yeah, everything that I, um, everything that I've worked with, with my clients, I've, I've done myself. I mean, it's like I've, I've figured out what's worked for myself and through working with them. So tested in the real world of a writer's life. I love Absolutely. that. <laughs> yes, yes. So there's something else that uh, I would think, I was thinking about last night, I thought about our conversation today. And in a way, as we were getting ready for this, you, you, you said something or you wrote something to me that really made it stand out. And, and that's what, and that's this. We're speaking about writing. We're having a conversation and that conversation is gonna be heard um, through the audio, the magic of audio by other people who are maybe interested in writing. But the idea of reading means that writing that is on a page or even on a tablet these days or in some way that you are with your eyes following the words in written form, that happens silently. That does not happen verbally. That is a quiet experience. I'm wondering, Lisa, do you find, uh, because you've done poetry readings, you've done other sorts of readings in groups where you take the words that you've written in quiet time and might be read by somebody in quiet time and you bring those out into sound. Do you find the experience of reading your own writing, for example, out loud, does that change it in some way? How is, what is that experience like? Because you're the writer and now you're reading your words aloud. Oh, um, it's, it's a different experience, I suppose, than reading. Yes. Yeah, so my challenge, because, you know, I'm an introvert and, you know, that's why I probably have become a writer as a way, because I need to express myself and that's been the way that I've done it. Um, so for me personally, it is a challenge to bring that, I guess, timber of emotion or the idea out verbally. Um, so I don't know how I affect people uh, until I get a response. So, but it, yeah, it's very, it's very different. It's very different. I think reading, uh, reading and writing itself is a well response. Though is a well, um, a well situation. <laughs> it's not. I a love that. I love that because we know wow can't really be defined. Oh, by the way, uh, it was in, it was first recorded in writing the word wow in Scotland apparently in the 16th century. So it's been with us for a while. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and we still don't know what it means, but we feel like we know when to say it. <laughs> yes, I guess a primal response almost. It seems. Yes, maybe that's the maybe that's what makes it that because it has a primal quality to it. Well, I love this notion of. Um, considering the difference between reading words and hearing words and then somehow in between those two is writing words. So we have lots of ways to experience words, don't we? Yes, true, true. <laughs> and, and so sometimes we hear people and we see them saying the words. We can kind of match their the, the words coming out of their mouth, we're watching their expressions or their hands move or whatever it may be. And other times we're hearing them through an audio medium. And of course, podcasting is that. So we're not seeing them. So um, people can only imagine 
that Diane, for example, is waving her hands in the air as she's talking because that's what she does. Lisa, I can only imagine whether you're sitting quietly, whether you're moving around, whether you're moving your hands. I, I'm intrigued. Can you let us know whether your hands are moving or are they in a quiet space for this oh, conversation? We're in a quiet space. <laughs> I love it. We got two different kinds of folks here. This is great. <laughs> so before we complete our conversation, there's a couple things I want to make sure I do, which is Lisa has very generously offered to our listeners something that I want to make sure you know about. And that is if you go to her website, barringtoneditorial.com, you can find an opportunity to engage here for a 30-minute phone consultation for $50. That is an incredible deal. And her wisdom that she's already shared, just the tip of the wisdom iceberg with us, I'm sure is going to be more worth more than that by a long shot. But uh, Lisa, thank you so much for making that offer available to our listeners who might be interested in it. And I also want to say that, again, you can learn more about what she does and uh, hopefully keep track of what she might be up to soon at barringtoneditorial.com. And, and again, you've been listening to Lisa Marguerite Mora, and I'm going to spell her name. It's L-I-S-A. Marguerite is M-A-R-G-U-E-R-I-T-E, and her last name, Mora, is M-O-R-A. You can also find her on social media. She's a sociable sort of writer. You can find her on Facebook under lisa.m.mora, and you can find her on Tumblr under thewordsmithmagic.tumblr.com. Lisa, is there anything, as we've kind of done a very free-ranging conversation here today, is there anything you are prompted to want to share with our listeners before we complete our time together? Oh, um, well, if you're... If you're a writer and if you have the impetus to, to put words to paper, uh, just believe it. Believe in yourself. Believe in that energy that it's, it's so important. It's so important to, to bring what's in us out and to share it because we all benefit from, everyone, from each other's experiences and stories and, and ideas. Yeah. What a beautiful sentiment and what a lovely way of expressing it. You've, you've gently invited people to engage with, experiment with, discover their own voice on the page. How perfect. Lisa, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your creativity, your writer's view of the world with, uh, with me and with all of our listeners. Thank you again for being here. Thank you, Diane. I so enjoyed this. Thank you. Great. Well, we are going to say uh, toodaloo. And as you all put pen to paper or uh, fingers to keyboards, keep Lisa Marguerite Mora and uh, our little conversation here in mind. Have a magnificent day, evening, weekend, whatever it is that you're coming up to next. And uh, tell us about it in story form. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Thank you for being with us on WOW Whispering. In each episode, we present a public service announcement that highlights resources committed to uplifting our quality of life. Look for the episode show notes, which have links to learn more. And today we are pleased to feature the Library of Congress. It's the largest library in the world with millions of books, 
recordings, photographs, newspapers, maps, and manuscripts in its many diverse collections. The library is the main research arm of the US Congress and the home of the US Copyright Office. And the library preserves and provides access to a rich, diverse, and enduring source of knowledge to inform, inspire, engage you in your intellectual and creative endeavors. Whether you're new to the Library of Congress or an experienced researcher, they've got a world-class staff ready to assist you online and in person. Now, speaking of online, you can find them, and boy, they are great with a very simple website to remember. It's loc.gov, that stands for Library of Congress, loc.gov. On Facebook, it's Library of Congress. So they encourage you to visit the Library of Congress in person in Washington and explore the library online from wherever you may be and connect with them on social media. And let me add, most importantly, the Library of Congress belongs to the citizens of the United States. Origins, oh yeah, they have origins. The library was founded in 1800, a mere 24 years after the Declaration of Independence, making it the oldest federal cultural institution in the nation. On August 24th in 1814, British troops burned the Capitol building where the library was housed and destroyed the library's core collection of 3,000 volumes. But on January 30th, 1815, less than a year later, Congress approved the purchase of Thomas Jefferson's personal library of twice that many, 6,487 books for $23,950. I'll bet that was a lot in those days. The Library of Congress is the largest library in the world with more than 167 million items on approximately 838 miles of bookshelves. The collections include more than 39 million books and other printed materials, 3.6 million recordings, 14.8 million photographs, 5.5 million maps, 8.1 million pieces of sheet music, and 72 million manuscripts. I'm just going to say wow to all this. Check it out, because isn't that what we do with libraries? I'm not sure it's a lending library, but it's definitely a place that you can access online or in person. Thank you. What a pleasure to be with you in the world of wow whispering. As we complete this episode, I invite you to notice the wows and whispers that enliven or challenge as they fulfill life for you in both tiny moments and transforming experiences. I wish you the very best until we meet next time.